Oh, she's all right. Uh-uh, that's too big for you, isn't it? All right, we're all, we're all here in the uh, recreation hall at the Shafter camp, and we're going to get together and sing a song just to test out this machine. The recordings were made in the summer of 1940 in California. We went to Visalia in the north, all the way down to Brawley in the south. There were 12 of these huge camps out there, and we went to all of them. Migratory labor camps, sponsored by the Farm Security Administration, one of Mr. Roosevelt's many organizations that got us through the Depression. Well, the migration began as a result of the terrible dust storms that hit the uh, Oklahoma and Arkansas and the panhandle of Texas back in around 1936 and 37 and it caused what was became known as the Dust Bowl. It come a, what we call a red dust storm. It's come from the west, tore the roofs off of the larger buildings, the small buildings, blowed them completely away, and turned cars over, and the dust was so thick that you could see nothing at all, just dark as it could possibly be. Such a huge black cloud just looked like smoke out of a train stack or something. And uh, we had to tie wet rags over our mouth just to keep from smothering. And we had cattle. It killed them. They was out in there. And uh, we uh, would cut their lungs open and it looked just like a mud pack or something. Five or six hundred chickens, they all starved to death, or a large percent of them. Two or three cows starved to death. So I told the folks in the spring, I says, the way everything's turned out and money's so hard to get, I said, I guess we'll just load up and leave out. I just worried my head off for the last five or six years trying to make everything meet, and I'm getting tired of the worry. Going down the road feeling bad. I'm going down the road feeling bad. I'm going down the road feeling bad. Oh, Lord, I ain't going to be treated this way. Were mostly people of English, Irish, and Scotch descent who came over here generations ago. And uh, when the Dust Bowl came, the people in California, the farmers out there, began to send bulletins saying that there were a lot of jobs in California, pea picking, grape picking, so forth. As a result, 300,000 came instead of what they were hoping for about 2,000 or so. But California got a little petrified and scared to death with this huge influx of migrants coming in. It was far more than they could use or take. When I left Oklahoma, I was walking, me and my wife and two babies. We come into Texas and we made we got us an old rattle-trap car. Of course, we didn't have the money to just say, well, let's buy a ticket and we'll go to California. So we had to work our way. So from Dallas, Texas, we went on out to Clovis, New Mexico. I loaded up my personal belongings into a little house trailer that I bought, 15 foot long, 7 foot wide, hooked it on behind a Model A Ford, and we started to Yakima, Washington. While traveling through the country and going over the mountains at Grand Island, Nebraska, our house trailer came unhooked 
went over a mountainside and destroyed practically everything that we had except our model A Ford. My gal, she rides in a D-model Ford, but she's riding just the same. She'll be coming around the mountain, charming Betsy. She'll be coming around the mountain, Coralie. The next morning, I says to the wife, we've got 52 cents. We've got to get out and get us a job. Wife and I and boy loaded in our personal belongings and drove for eight continual hours stopping at every ranch, hunting for something to do. We went and run onto a rancher who wanted someone to spray. My boy and I had never sprayed an apple tree in our life or never knew anything about it, but he was man enough to offer us a job at 30 cents an hour, moved us into a little cabin which you could throw a cat through the roof. The stove was just about ready to fall down, the cook stove. We moved into it and slept on the floor, wife and I and boy, for a week while we sprayed to get enough money so that we could live decently. We sprayed there for 18 weeks and my rheumatism got so bad that the doctor advised me that I'd better come to California or else go back home and get ready to die. If I never get to see you again, good Lord, remember me. Started at this point in 1939, May the 4th, in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and started in California. In that dear state of Oklahoma, in the city where buildings are high, I laid on my pillow so hopeless, looking through my tin shack at the sky. I got up early next morning, out in the cold I did creep, walked off without any breakfast, and left two hungry babies asleep. And then I left that big city, I walked down 60 highway. I had a good reason for leaving, so I headed for Pacific Bay. Then I seen the Texas cotton and the Mexico bottomless lakes, and the Arizona Healy Monster and the Big Diamond Rattlesnakes. One night I heard the little coyotes. I listened to their pitiful whine. I wondered if the poor little creatures didn't have hungry babies like mine. I started this poem on the desert, my bed lying out on the ground, then covered up my hungry babies and smoked a cigarette and laid down. Then I picked peas in California from two to six hampers a day, trying to make a few pennies to drive that old hungry away. Oklahoma, farewell. Stopped off in New Mexico and worked for the snow ranch. Picked cotton for 75 cents a hundred. Mostly Mexicans and the contractors beat you out of the little cotton you'd pick, so we started on for Arizona. The living condition in Arizona is mighty bad for a worker on a farm. Where you sleep on the ground, you know, they uh, were just treated as mules and hardly as good as mules because they, they think a whole lot of the mules. And then we come on over in California in 38. And at uh, that time, it came quite a flood here in California. And we landed on Point Conception, farthest point west, picking peas. And people was just about starved to death and no way to get any groceries. And uh, people would go down to the preacher and the preacher had a mother who had some money, and she borrowed it in to him. And he would uh, take six shooters, old tires, anything and you could pawn for a little money to buy groceries with. And that went on for two or three weeks, till the peas got ready to pick, and got dry enough to pick, and 
people went out and they never cleared any money, just enough to barely get away from there. And then we went on up north to Winters, California and picked uh, almonds, peaches, hares. In the beginning, before the government put in the Farm Security Administration migrant camps, before that, they went in what they called the ditch bank camps, which were just tents that had been put up by the farmers in the ditch banks. There were a lot of malnutrition. The kids, little toe-headed kids, were in pretty bad shape with pellagra and other diseases, malnourishment mostly. Great many of the people died from asthma and other lung diseases, and they were in terrible shape when they arrived in California, most of them. But left to me, oh kids, I came out here one day. Spent all my money getting here, now I can't get away. It was uh, all a big emergency situation, and the Farm Security Administration just had to build these camps. People were suffering in California. It rained the whole night long, but I thought we all would drown. We all got the flu from sleeping on the ground. They put in 12 of them uh, in California and each one took about 2,000 or 3,000 people. Now let to me, oh kids, I'll hand it to you straight. I came out here eight weeks ago and I haven't worked a day. But now I'm on relief, cause I guess I've done my best. It wasn't far old Uncle Sam, I guess we starved to death. This is a song that was composed in the 1939 Arvin Cotton Strike. Three strikers composed this song, including myself. The title is Associated Farmers Have a Farm. Associated Farmers Have a Farm. E they had a group known as the Associated Farmers. They were convinced that this was a communist plot. Let me read you just one thing that was said that I took down verbatim. The whole proposition is communist through and through. It stinks of Russia. Our women won't be safe on the streets with these people. We never wanted this camp in here. White men are no good in our business. We like our Mexicans. They don't complain. And they don't ever do any organizing. As for those bulletins which they said we sent out to get those migrants here, they're the work of the Communist Party. We've checked on it. The Reds are burrowing from within. You know how they work. And I picked that up from a mayor of one of the towns down in Brawley, California, down in Imperial Valley. I went and called on him to get his reactions, and he was pretty angry about everything. They were angry at me, too. I was asking too many questions. <laughs> in those ranches, it got to be that if we talked back or even sang in the orchards or talked, you know, with somebody else picking around there, Bob would come up to us and tell us, you better shut up, you're not supposed to sing, or you're not supposed to whistle, you're not supposed to do anything, like peons. That's what uh, gets all the people here all bothered, because right now, they have work, most of them have work, but they haven't got any, any money to rent a house with, and the first money they start earning, they have to pay it for food. So how do you expect them to pay rent? This is Mary Campbell. This is Betty Camp. We're from the Shafter Government Camp. We're going to sing the Government Camp song. It was written by my sister and I. Over here in the Government Camp, that's where we get our government stamps. Over in that little rag house home. 
Over in the isolation. That's where we get our vaccinations. Over in that little house home. And the, the government camps that we live in, that the government has never spent a dollar that's done people more good than these government camps. Not even money that's been loaned to railroads and big corporations. I don't think it, it's helped the country anymore. It's put more enjoyment in life for people in these here country camps. It's pitiful the way we see some people come in here in the wintertime, have nothing, just sleep on the floors, just floor. And maybe if you, well, if they had some of them that had a car, they'd get the cushions out of their cars and lay down on them because the tents would uh, leak and the water would run in, so they'd get themselves off of the floor and try to keep dry in that way. And then we had a lot of sickness, and the ones that were on the sick committee, like myself, I was on the sick committee, we'd uh, make the uh, rounds every morning in each unit, and uh, if there was anyone that needed uh, medical care, they were turned in at the clinic, at the nurse. So everything fared well. We've lost only a very few cases. Everything was taken care of very nicely. They began as just tent camps, then metal shelters, and you would get a family of seven or eight people in one room metal shack. But they, were, they had excellent recreation facilities and a big hall for entertainment, and even had a library. And when I was doing my recordings, each camp had its own little newspaper put out by the Okies. The King family, yes, the King family was uh, the nearest thing to a professional group the Okies had, and we found them in one of the camps. They did a lot of very strange variations on 200-year-old ballads. Folks, this is the King family playing on some instruments that we made ourselves out of some gourds, like we might call them soap gourds or powder gourds or whatever the old-time gourds might have been. So we have some instruments, Harlan playing the guitar, Charles playing the mandolin, Sid playing a violin, and the tenor banjo myself, Billy playing the bass violin. So here we go with the gourds. The camp manager would get on the loudspeaker and announce that there'd be an event in the social hall that night. They were going to record some music and play some music and so forth. Saturday nights was a terrific night. They had a huge dance and line dancing and square dance and a very good band orchestra made up by the Okies themselves and it was usually fiddle and guitar and banjo and uh, mouth organs but it was just old-time country music.
The name of this song is Cotton Fever. It was written by an Arvin camper during last season's cotton. It was a presto machine called a presto recorder. Along the road on either, the road on either side, cotton's green, two miles wide. And it was a very cumbersome thing, and about 50 pounds or so. And it had aluminum discs covered with acetate. <laughs> We had records that were acetate on cardboard, too. And we would always, after we recorded somebody on regular records, we would do one on cardboard that they could play themselves and keep. So that helped. And we had them fighting to be heard. Had no trouble getting them to record at all. And they loved looking at the machine. The kids were absolutely, unbelievably excited about it. This one's a frog. <laughs> It was a very primitive outfit. Sometimes it would stick, get stuck. It would do all kinds of strange things. And uh, it was just like a regular Victrola. You put the disc down, the big recording, it looked just like a phonograph record, put it on the uh, machine, turned the machine on, the record went around, and the needle cut the grooves in the recording, and it made the recording. There was no tape at all. Barbara Allen. All in the merry month of May, when the green buds they were swelling, Young Jimmy Gray on his deathbed lay for the love of Barbara Allen. And as I was walking through the Wookiee camp, I heard a woman singing, and I recognized what she was singing. It was an old 17th century ballad called Barbara Allen. And, uh, I asked where she had learned that. She said from her mother. If your name be Barbara Allen. And I began to ask around about it, and I found that dozens of people who knew these old songs that were hundred more years old. Oh, the old apple tree in the orchard, it lives in my memory, cause it reminds me of my pappy. He was handsome, young, and happy when he planted the old apple tree. So one day Pappy took Widder Norton out on a jamboree and when he brought her home that son of Brother Norton raised his gun up and he chased Pappy up in the tree. And the fact that we were working for the government, the Library of Congress, uh, we sort of hinted to the Okies that uh, whoever we were recording, that probably a good many people in Washington, D.C. would hear the stories that they told and hear their music and so forth and it might be helpful to the Okies. And so the Okies sang like the devil and did a lot of uh, telling of stories. When the neighbors came after my pappy up in the tree was he. The neighbors took a rope and strung him by the neck and then they hung him to a branch on the old apple tree. In Oklahoma.
And sure enough, we did play these records, all of them, for Mrs. Roosevelt in, uh, at the White House. We were invited there and uh, played them, so I felt, haven't felt guilty about all that. Uh, this is an old song that I learned from my daddy. Little old man come in from the plow, dan do, dan do. They're very good, and that uh, woman, uh, Mrs. Pike, the one who sang dan do, that uh, was a lovely voice. Little old man come in from the plow, said old woman got dinner ready now, blurred and blurred and black a dago. I was amazed at the number of good guitar players. Practically everyone we ran into had a guitar stashed away somewhere. Piece old dry bread laying on the shelf. Tommy Clash, Tom Klingo. Piece old dry bread laying on the shelf. If you want any dinner, you can cook it yourself. Blue and blue and black a dago. Yes, it was, uh, I, I remember it all very well. And it was a very uh, moving business, the whole thing. Over at the sewing room, it needs woman and a broom. Over by the little ragged house over where we cook and can. We hope someday we'll get a man over in that little ragged house We are proud of government camp. That's where we get our government stamps. Over by that little ragged house That's fine. <laughs> 